So I'm driving back from Seekins Precision. I turn on to Route 80 there on in Wyoming, and I'm going to record a podcast. Got some great ideas. I'm talking about Brian Morgan's place, a lot of that we learned, what, what we were doing out there. And I'm in the zone, stream of consciousness, man. I'm like, boom, 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 hitting all the marks. This is like easily the greatest podcast I've ever done. I mean, I'm talking about angle shooting, the winds in the mountains. I'm talking about military applications, all this stuff. I get down the road about an hour and during this trip and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm literally blacked out while I'm talking. There's construction, narrows down to like one lane. They bring everybody on the one side. There's snow, there's rain. There's Johnny Law out there pulling people over. And I'm just going. I like, cool. I reach over to stop the recorder and it never started. That's right. I lost it all. I tried recreating it, driving by. I did it again. I was just, I was devastated. I called Mike up and I was flipping the hell out. I mean, it, it was it was so good and then so bad losing it. And there was no way to get it back because it flowed so well. It flowed through me and out of me. And it was gone. I was, I was devastated. I, I feel like the biggest heel on the planet. So here we are back home. You're listening to Frank from Sniper's Hide, and this is the Everyday Sniper. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for sharing. We're well over the 1,500 uh, subscribers and followers. Great amount of downloads, 80,000 plus. Yeah, we're finally on iTunes. So if you haven't heard that, iTunes finally sorted everything out. They switched like my customer service person. The first one was playing something funky with me. Then they brought this other guy over and the solution or the problem was solved in like two emails where I went probably six or eight emails with the other guy and it it was never getting resolved. So I think there might have been a little of that bias that everybody talks about that doesn't exist happening. You know, I, I'm sure I'm imagining it, but it's funny how it took me like three months of going back and forth with them with no resolution. We switch uh, a, a guy, you know, the, the name on the email, and two emails later, it's back up and working. I want to thank Mike and Adam for taking up the slack while I was away. I got some really good stuff out of Seekins, which we're going to talk about. I got an interview with Glenn that I got to figure out how I'm going to edit up. I have it on camera that we filmed, and I did a recording, but the recording was a little light. I'm going to play with that a little bit. I have it in two formats, so you can hear uh, Glenn and I going back and forth talking a little bit about Seekins history and stuff. I posted the first video that uh, from Saturday shooting at Brian Morgan's place in the mountains. I mean, that was the bulk of my conversation on that lost podcast. It was good. And, and we saw such great conditions. Brian Morgan has outstanding insights onto what some of the things are happening out there in angle shooting with software, with the winds. We talked a lot about wind, and I know wind's super popular 
Um, between the reloading and the wind stuff, that seems to be the two most popular things. And I just want to kind of throw a couple things out there. There was some extra questions on the reloading. I'm I'm a quick reloader. I'm I'm a fast and I get it done reloader. I'm not an anal retentive kind of guy. I'm not there, and and I always hated this. I mentioned it before. I hate the guys that you say, hey, are you coming out to do this? And they go, no, I'm still doing load development. No, I haven't figured this out yet. If if all you're doing is reloading, then you're pretty much just a reloader and not a shooter. You know, the point is to get a good load that, that brings something more to the table beyond factory ammo and then to get out and shoot it. You know, so like somebody had asked about the the point of diminishing returns. For me, I'm trying to hit a target velocity because factory ammo tends to be in the slow node, okay? And that slow node might be 50 feet per second slower than expected. It might be 100 feet per second slower than expected. It might go as high as 200 feet per, uh, per second, 200 feet per second slower than expected, that's a bad thing. I'm finding muzzle velocity is is so much more dependent than I think we gave it credit for, especially I've been mixing and matching a bunch bullet-wise. And this is like where, you know, prime has been so successful, prime ammo. 130 grain bullet, they're in a slow node, but they keep the velocity up with a lighter bullet. And the accuracy is not falling off even with a lighter bullet like that. The BC is still high on the bullet because the velocity's up and it tends to work to distance. So many people are defaulting to the heavies and, and, and going that way. So where are my points for reloading and where are the points of diminishing return to kind of follow up on a lot of what Adam said? I look at it where if I need a speed. I want to try to reach that speed. That's my number one goal, trying to get close to the speed I'm looking for. Then I adjust for accuracy and I make a small tweak. I need to be three-eighths of an inch or better on accuracy. If I hit three-eighths of an inch in the speed that I want with a good SD, because that's the other place that uh, factory rounds might fall down, is your standard deviation. If I have a single digit, even if that means nine, if I have an SD of nine, an appropriate muzzle velocity, which means usually faster than factory, and then that three-eighths of a minute accuracy, I'm off to the races and I'm going to town and shooting it. I'm not going to mess around with it anymore. I'm there. I got it. I'm done. I'm shooting. That's what's really going to take you to the next level. Now, maybe as you shoot a little bit and you're fine-tuning your reloading processes, you 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 then you, you might get your SDs down a little bit. Hey, I, if I do this, my SDs will come down. If I anneal my brass, my SDs come down. I change primer, my SDs might come down. That's a different deal. That's kind of like where you'll play in that space but you still have a starting load you're working with, and then you can tweak it from there at a little bit more of a leisurely pace. But I, you know, it, it, it for some people it's it's a it's a cost money saving issue. Got it. You're saving some money, so you you don't have to invest extra amount of time going through all these processes and buying every single widget out there. I have the most basic setup possible. I have a rock chucker a T7 turret press, 
Uh, just a regular powder drop. I'm not going crazy. I'm using a cheesy little digital scale and I do it by hand because I'm not loading in great bulk. I do have the Charge Masters like Adam talked about. Uh, they're not set up, but I have them because uh, I was planning on redoing my reloading kind of bench in a much better way, especially if I wanted to get some video. I wanted to clean it up and fix it and I just haven't done that yet, but that's something I, I, I contemplated quite a bit. And then... You know, I'm doing some of your basic prep and everything like that. I used to have some of the trimmers and things like that. And actually, those got left back in Connecticut when I was there. I was doing a lot more reloading in Connecticut than I am doing here. And it's just because I'm shooting a lot more here than I was in Connecticut. So I put a little bit more focus on reloading because I didn't have the options to shoot as much as I did versus out here. Now, I could shoot a ton. I don't really need to reload because I think the factory ammo serves my purposes really well. And I'm doing more of my talking on the range than I am at the bench. So that's where I'm going with that. So that's my point of diminishing returns. I, I'm, I'm not looking to take it to this nth degree. I have no need for a Prometheus. You know, I think some of those auto tricklers are probably a much better option. And I know Brant Cole. I've known him forever. I knew before the Prometheus existed, I remember when it looked like a game of mousetrap and, and it was Legos and Erector set and put together um, when he was hanging out with David Tubb and, and he was sort of, um, you know, partnered up in that space. So I've been around that device for a very long, long time. I think your your auto trickler and, and the guys out of Canada and the stuff with those, uh, you know, what are they, the, 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 the 320s or whatever the number is. I'd have to look it up on the internet with the scales, you know. But that auto trickler setup with the with that big scale they're using. And, and, and like I said, the name escapes me without looking at it. It's like FS320 or something. I don't know. You know, don't hold me to it. But that that's, uh, that's I think, is, is a really good setup if you guys want to go in that direction. That's the direction I'm looking at going myself. If I do create this new bench system in the whole thing, it'll be through the auto trickler system. My presses, though, I'm using Redding or RCBS dies. Um, I like the Reddings. I think they do a better job, especially when I'm shooting solids. Uh, as I mentioned before, for me, I have to reload the solids. I have Forrester dies and the competition dies. They'll bend the tips and have to be modified. The Reddings out of the box don't. So I just use the basic Redding competition dies. I do have some competition cedars and things like that. But I find those Reddings work really well and, and get me done. The T7 press is good. I can rotate that. And then every now and then, like especially with the solids, I just do my seating die in the rock chucker and I do that one at a time. The the T and I'm a full length guy. All I do is full length. I'm not neck sizing. And I'm reading a lot more and more about just full lengthing. There, there's, there's a lot more people talking about skipping that neck sizing. I always did. I was never a fan of the neck sizing part of it. So um, to me, full length seating, go. And if I do use a micrometer one, which for some of them I do, it, it helps. I, I like the micrometer uh, dies and, and that's where I'll go. I I. I clean up some of the primer pockets a little bit. I'm not really getting crazy because uh, I use a lot of just the once fired brass. So I'm not getting like I'm not on these 10s and 20 reloadings with brass. 
uh, I'll just go and, and keep grabbing the prime once fired. And I use a ton of prime once fired brass, especially now. I have so much prime brass. It's easy to just go grab brand new once fired that I keep in some five-gallon buckets and just reload it that way and then move on. The Lapua stuff I send out to like McCourt and that gets all worked up, annealed, trimmed, the whole thing. So, uh, uh, you know, my bulk numbers, if I showed you the box was probably, you know, three foot by two foot of the amount of ammo that I've gotten in from McCourt for reloading. And it's a, it's a, it's a big amount and I'd rather just pay him to do it. The numbers are perfect. The effort is perfect, and we already know the load works. We work up that load beforehand, and now it's just like semi-custom load it for me, and, I, and I'm a happy camper. But awesome, awesome trip to Seekins. I learned a ton about AR-10s, and I want you guys to hear about that and watch the videos. I, I, I learned on the gas systems and tuning that up, gas blocks and what's going there, gas system lengths. Glenn did a lot of work on that. Then back up to the buffer technology, buffer springs. He's doing some unique stuff, but not with his buffer springs. Okay, we talked about the flat wire system that he's using. David Tubb and I talked about the flat wire system, God, eight years ago when he was shooting SR25s and the high power stuff. And when he switched over to that, attempting to get the recoil pulse to work and to maintain accuracy, he was immediately going into buffer spring technology. And Glenn is doing the same thing and, and sort of picked that up on his own. Uh, so we'll talk about it. I'm not giving away the entire secret sauce of what he's doing, but there's enough there to let you know that this is being looked at. From the front of the rifle with your gas block and gas system to the back of the rifle with your buffers and tunings to your bolt carriers, you know, and JP, because I just spec'd out the Valkyrie with them. Same thing. We're talking about variable mass bolt carriers, you know, the, the buffer systems, the gas system, all this stuff on, on what's going on is we're looking at with these semi-automatic platforms. We're trying to, you know, we're, it's not that we're trying. We're getting these semi-automatic platforms to shoot half minute or better consistently. And that is happening through this advanced technology people are putting into it. And so your, your, your GAPs, your JPs, your, you know, all your Seekins, all these guys are doing things just different enough from the ones who are putting out more of the production style AR systems, the semi-autos, versus the semi-custom ones. And I think the semi-custom guys are are really doing some, you know, some great work out there. And in in I mean, the the proof's in the pudding. You watch the videos, dude. We're nailing this stuff under tough conditions, and it's great. The other thing um, that I, I, you know, I want to kind of uh, talk about is Saturday. I, I God, I wish I didn't lose that um, that podcast, that that recording. It was so damn good. I'm gonna try to recreate it. To me, this episode right here is sort of like fix my brain and stopgap. I had to race back on Sunday afternoon. Monday, I, I I blew a shoulder in which some people have been asking me about the Gunworks match, which is going on this weekend. 
I, I said I was going in the podcast up to Gunworks and I was going to shoot it. I can't go now. I, I'd hurt my shoulder earlier. I hurt it years ago climbing. And I thought I tore a rotator cuff and, and everything and, and sort of worked it out and played with it. And I've been all right. Well, now at shot and right after, I heard it again. And, and both times I heard it was putting my shoes on. And it, and it blew my friggin' like shoulder out and it, and it snapped and popped and felt really bad and make my eyes tear, the whole thing. So right after this happened, about two weeks after it, it happened, um, I had a VA appointment. So I said, well, you know, I got a, I got a little home TENS unit. I've been using that home's ten unit and the TENS unit and then I went to the VA. I said, this hurts. Take a look at it. So immediately they set me up with physical therapy and some stuff because they did identify under the quick uh, view a problem with my shoulder. They x-rayed me up and then they, they you know, I'm, I'm going for some different tests and things like that. But I, I, they ended up sending me to physical therapy. And that was Monday. I get there and the paperwork hadn't come in yet. So the, 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 the physical therapist didn't really know what the problem is. Nobody's looked at the, the x-rays yet and because and, they put this all together really quick. I went to Seekins on Wednesday and Wednesday afternoon during the drive out to Idaho. I got the phone call from the VA, which gave me the appointment for Monday. So it was really that fast. It was like Wednesday they said go, Monday I was there. And the physical therapist identified like a problem with uh, uh, my muscle in my neck, which attacks, attaches to the back of my shoulder. There's uh, appears to be something more cartilage because uh, it's clicking and popping more so than muscle. The muscle around my cuff doesn't seem beat up, but there's like a cartilage pop happening. And she wasn't too happy with fe- hearing and feeling that because it's clicking and popping. Then, like I said, the back of my neck, there's that one set of muscle groups that goes down. My right side is is dead. It's just, it's, it's wasted. The other side, you could feel it. It's tight. It's working. My left side is doing all this. My right side's nuke, so no gun works match for me. It hasn't bothered me shooting it, but moving it around, like moving the gun positional-wise, I think I've kind of noticed my scores going down a bit this this year. Even the local Pawnee stuff hasn't been working the way I thought. And this is probably a contributing factor, the, you know, that shoulder health. And, and I could, it, it's, it's, it's nuked. If I'm laying in the prone, my elbow's supported, and I'm just shooting, I don't get the pain. Picking up, stretching, moving, and, and reaching forward for like a bipod or something, if I reach out is where it really, really hurts. And so that's kind of the difference in what's going on. So I'm, I'm rain checking the Gunworks match. I really hate it because I want to get up there. I want to see it's one of the closer matches to me. And, and I was fully planned on attending and people who've been emailing me, asking me if they'll see me there. Unfortunately, it's no right now. Uh, um, only because of this. And I have to go Friday back to physical therapy. So um, that's the other thing is is that they're because they've identified this problem to the degree they're they're bringing me into some more sessions um, therapy wise to kind of work the kinks out. <laughs> the nice thing, how about this for the VA? So the the whole thing with the VA hospital. I like my VA. I like my Golden uh, Clinic. If they tell me I have a nine o'clock appointment, if I'm coming off the elevator at like you know eight fifty eight. Because I went downstairs and checked in and then go up to the second floor. The doors are opening on the elevator and they're calling my name. 
it's that fast. And the only thing is they change some of the processes to get some work done that you now have to make appointments where prior to this year, I used to be able to just walk downstairs and go to whatever room I need to. Now they said with like the physical therapy, they couldn't get me in to the VA physical therapy within 30 days. So they said, okay, because of that, you get to go to an outside physical therapist. Turns out the woman's like across the street from the house. I walked one block down and two houses in across the street and she has her physical therapy set up right there behind the house. And I'm like, woohoo. So I, I walked the physical therapy, um, which, which is pretty cool uh, on the one level. Um, I know Mike and those guys are going to be shooting the Pawnee match this weekend. And they're going to shoot the Seekins SP-10M. Now, everybody's asking me about the M. What does the M stand for? What does the M stand for? I did a ton of video with Glenn about it. It's like 15 minutes just talking about the M. The M is for military and law enforcement. You civilian guys who want it, you just get the SP-10. Same parts, different process of putting it together and how it's, you know, we talked about you can't take the barrel off and things like that. It's locked into place. Well, your SP-10, you can. You get to do everything you want to do. The M becomes a system. So if you're interested in this and in, in the act, the barrel's the same, the, the parts are the same. It's just instead of two levels of, actually three, instead of three levels of quality control, it's two levels of quality control. And actually it might be four versus two because I don't know if they do a before and after after I have to listen to Glenn again. But let's just say it's four levels of quality control versus two levels of quality control. But the quality control on those two levels are very small batch. The the most you'll see is eight parts, one of eight being checked versus every one with the M. So the, their batches are eight parts at a time on the big end, four parts on the average side, and they'll check one out of that. So... What the M does is they grab every part. It gets QC'd before. Then it gets, it gets so there's the batch QC's that they normally do. Then it goes to the QC department straight up to say this is an M. They check it again specifically in case it missed that particular piece in the batch. You know what I mean? So if they checked batch uh, eight, one of eight batch and they checked receiver three, but receiver four is going to become an M. Well, then it gets checked again. So that gets checked again before it goes to someone like Glenn or Maddie or the guys who are authorized. There's only three guys that are authorized to build the M's. Then that guy builds the M. Then it goes to another QC level and then gets all put to, you know, and then not gets all put together, but then it gets assembled and all that and ready to go. On top of that, there's prints test targets, proof stuff that are matched to that rifle. They'll even put it on a machine and mark it and test it and then print off what the Zeiss machine shows. And that gets included with it. So there's a lot of stuff going into it. The SP-10M, very similar, just a little bit broader, saves you a lot of money. It's like, like half the price, but it's the same parts. It just doesn't have the prints and things that are going. And part of that is if it goes to court, if it goes somewhere and somebody says, well, wait a minute, you know, this shot and they, you know, supposedly he 
well, let's just hypothetical. We're not saying it ever going to happen, whatever. I'm just giving you a hypothetical. Let's say the guy goes to press the trigger and double taps on the trigger. Pop, pop. And it does that. And they go, well, why did you shoot two rounds like this? And the guy goes, well, the trigger did this. If they, if the court tries to say the trigger was out of spec or something like that, Glenn has prints and measurements for that very device, which will then say, no, that was operator error. He double tapped it. The trigger did not fire twice. So there's, there's corresponding paperwork that goes with it. So guys, don't get confused and don't get lost into the M designation. This is for your military guys and your law enforcement guys who are listening. This becomes a system that's locked into place. And so there's no question of what's going on. And it protects you on many other levels. You know, as we said, if you burn out the barrel on an M, you get the whole upper receiver. You burn out the barrel on an SP-10, you change the barrel. That's all it is. Everything else is the same. So um, we'll talk more about that. The video's coming. I got a lot of video. Like I said, 15 minutes minimum on the SP-10M, 19 minutes talking to Glenn, just having a back and forth about him coming up, Sniper's Hide going from rings to ARs to everything else he's doing and building from you know a shop in his garage to the giant facility with 45 employees, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, then the shooting with Brian Morgan, I got to get my head straight on that for you guys. The lessons learned cannot be overstated, okay? There was so much to pick up in that environment with Brian out there that I'm, I, I got to pass it on to you because it's that important. The angle shooting equation, the wind shooting equation, the tripod equation, you know, all these things, even down to truing. I, uh, Brian has a, a truing target that he created. It's actually two targets. I went and immediately called uh, AA targets, Austin Angus here locally, and I, I created a variant. It's, it's similar. It does exactly what Brian's is doing. I just made it different um, design. I, I created more of a box versus two separate targets doing it. His truing target is is really, really smart. And because of his clientele, he's not doing the basic classes like I am. He's working guys up who are supposed to be at a specific standard. And what he really needs to do is just check the target at 800 yards, 1,000 yards, whatever the case may be, and check their elevation drop and then bring that into the computer and double check the true. He had a really neat solution for it. I asked him if I could make a variant of it. I wasn't going to copy it without talking to him about it. So I made my own variant. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll have that when Austin gets it to me. I'll have that out with you guys and let you see it. We'll do a quick video on it because I, I really think it's a great visual. And, and that was one of the things he focused on. We true guys on you know an, an 18 by 30 inch target at 800 yards it's a it's a rectangle it's white i do a watermark as i talk to you guys about it and that allows us to to get somebody on target easier because it's so big at 800 yards and then walk them towards the line once they're close to that line we know what they are but what happens is you got a class of 10 people it beats the lines up you got to repaint it well, Brian came out with a really slick solution to true a target without having to go back and repaint it. Because getting to targets for him, because he's in these mountains, is hard. 
you know? So we're, we're talking truing this stuff up visually without having to run down there and check out where you are in reference to the line, repaint the line for the next guy, make sure the target's clean so you can see where the impacts are. Instead, it's grabbing and go, grabbing and go, and, and it's, it's a slick setup. And so I'm looking forward to showing you guys what I'm doing with that. Um, he, he, he really, he, he made a, he made a, a, a good solution for what he's doing and, and I made just a variant of it. So thank you to Brian. I mean, if you look at the pictures that I posted on Facebook, the tripod position, I was shooting with my leg over it, Brian Morgan, we talked angles and stuff and, and, and the winds and things like that. He, he's got some really good insight into that. I'm going to talk about a truing target came from him. And, and, you know, he, he's out there doing this every day and he's doing it with, with some, some pretty high speed people. So taking that knowledge and disseminating it the way he is, I really, really appreciate that because he easily could be hiding it as in, in his inside breast pocket and being one of those guys that says, you know, even though he learned something from these other people, they act like they invented it. He's not doing that. Okay. We all learn from each other and to, and to take something that somebody else is doing or has done and then to kind of come out public with it and say you own it is ridiculous. Like I said, this stuff came from him. Total kudos to him. Kudos to the, to, to the type of person he is to share this information with others. He shared it with Adam. Adam talked about it. I heard from Adam. I went to Brian. He shared it with me. I'm sharing it with you. And I'm not talking out of school. I'm giving the guy the credit. And I'm not taking something that I shouldn't be talking about and letting you guys know because he does work within that space. So that's that's kind of where, where where it's coming from. But uh, thanks to that, I'm actually, uh, other than the shoulder crap, I'm in some really good space to, to get caught up now, to get out. The weather's changed, although we still have some wind. You guys are asking about the muzzle brake stuff still. Yes, but the problem is, is I have to use a board, a gridded board. I have to line up the muzzle to the board and film it in slow motion. If the wind is knocking my board over or moving these things, we're getting false kind of a look. And that's the only reason why the muzzle brake stuff's not being put out yet is because I can't have a 10 to 25 mile an hour wind pushing on this boards like it is because it, it, it ends up skewing the video and not making it look good. Weather's changing. Everything's good. It's coming. I promise you we, we got it coming out. So, um, you know, that, that stuff is, is happening. And uh, like I said, um, we're, we're, we're modifying some things for the next class. May class is going to be coming up in a month. Uh, so we're making some changes to that. We're talking about a classroom, a more uh, a permanent type classroom or semi-permanent is what it'll be. But not, you know, not susceptible to the winds like we were out there. Uh, you know, like I said, that was that was so we didn't have to go back to the hotel and then come back out to the range and then go back to the hotel. Uh, I wanted to avoid that because my presentation is more designed to show you, talk about it, walk out to the line, shoot it, come back, talk about some other things, go back out to the line and shoot it. And if you have to have these big gaps in between where you're driving back and forth to 
a room like at the conference room at the hotel and, and then to the range. I'm not a fan of doing it that way. Uh, I did bring the TV out. I may have mentioned, I'm not sure, but the TV will be out there. It's already there. I already brought it, already dropped it off. The projector didn't have the, the, the intensity I was looking for. So we're using the TV. Cool. But uh, thank you guys for, for uh, listening to the, the wind stuff. I got, I've got some wind discussion when it comes to the mountain stuff we learned. If you watch the video I posted on YouTube and Sniper's Hide of the winds up there, we probably spent an hour, if not an hour and a half, just talking about the wind amongst ourselves. Between Glenn, me, Brian, you know, everybody was that were there. We, we were talking about winds in these conditions. You know, this is Hell's Canyon, Idaho. This is the deepest canyons in the U.S. and ravines like that. There's this, you know, you come around one curve, cross a bridge, and it's sunny. Take a left around the next curve and come back the other way. It's pouring out. Come the other side. It's snowing and sideways and windy. You know, it's such a mix of environmental emotions that it's just crazy. And you learn so much and you learn you can't know it all or manage it all. It's just too unique. We literally, I was shooting off of one side of a ridge down one direction, swapping over to the other side of the ridge to shoot up the other direction, and it's two completely different things. You know what I mean? With the way the wind comes across over the top of a ridge line, the wind is funneling between the ravines, swirling around and moving, you know, Everything's moving from right to left. You're holding from left to right. You know, you're doing all these different different things. And God, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and disgusted that I blew that, that podcast for you guys on my drive because it was so good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I was, my stomach was in knots the rest of the ride home. I hated it. But uh, I really think once I get my head back together and, and recreate the majority of what I talked about, you guys will appreciate following up and fixing it. The next thing is going to totally be the Glenn stuff. I got Glenn stuff ready. I got to edit it up. Um, he's a little echoey in his office uh, with the with the recorder. I got to clean that up. And then I did do one recording in the car, another road trip one. And that I got to clean up a little bit too. So this is my stopgap. This is my Frank nuked his shoulder. Let me get this out and then I can start, you know, messing with the, the, the video content that I got, the audio content that I got and, you know, a debrief from my Seekins trip. It, honestly, it's, it's beyond impressive what Glenn's doing. Adam touched on this because he just came back when we talked to Adam the first time. I went out there and, and followed up with what Adam and those guys did and everything he says is just wow they're they're so efficient with how they're they're doing this the machinery and the way he laid out his shop just helps lend to that efficiency i asked him if he if he brought in anything you know if he brought in somebody like a process person did you bring somebody in to show you how to and he's like no nah, it was just spaghetti charting it man seeing where people will have to walk to move from one device to another you know to to move the product through the process and they, and they used a, basically a spaghetti chart just to say, 
you know, how do I make a straight line instead of having to walk back on myself? So really neat stuff there. Uh, updates. Went into Mile High yesterday, had to meet uh, Mark from Alaska. Mark was down here cutting through. Uh, Mark from Wiggies. I do the precision rifle class with him up there. We're beyond booked up there. 115, 100 and something students this year. Holy cow, getting added. I think he said we're doing eight classes in just Alaska this year. It's insane. So he was passing through on his way to Kansas City. So I had dinner with him, met him at Mile High, uh, talked with those guys. The Tika left-hand gain twist is done. It's just the barrel's just being painted black. Everything there. I'm I'm actually thinking there's another Tika chassis sitting there at Mile High. I may I may take that Tac A1 chassis, and after I do the final initial video of it, I'm probably gonna take that Tac A1 chassis and toss it, and um end up putting it into something like a Kdex again and making it look like my other Tika. I like the Kdexes. I like the Kdex Competition Light Series. Mile High has one there um, that they're they're selling. And unless one of you guys call up and buy it like within the next couple days, I'm probably going to pick up that chassis. But the left-hand gain twist is ready to roll in 260 for my Tika. That'll be my second left-hand gain twist uh, in 260. Two different um, uh, twist rates, though. This one's got a little bit less aggressive twist rate than my first one my first one i went like eight and a quarter to seven this one's more eight and a half to seven and a half so um it, it, it would be interesting to see the difference between my ax with the left hand gain twist versus my um tika with a left hand gain twist because they're slightly different i opted for 22 inch on that guy and so we'll see we'll see what it does but uh i'm gonna put the tika tack a1 all back together just with the new barrel and then, like I said, maybe shortly after, I'll end up ditching that chassis and going to the Kdex with the AICS mags, cause I, I'm I'm not thrilled with the Tika mags, man. Uh, you know, I've had mixed results with them. Some work flawless, no problem, and some are just not feeding right. And I'm running into some weirdness with them. So going to the AICS single stacks, I think will solve a lot of that problems, and that's one of the solutions the Kdex provides with the Tika. Walking through, Logan gave me the high fives and said that it's just getting painted and you're ready to go. So thanks you, uh, Logan and the guys at Mile High for putting together that um, fast, quick turnaround on the Tikas. And uh, man, where, where, where else are we? Oh, what the heck is a combine? Isn't that like a football thing? You go to like a football combine? I don't know what the frig they're talking about. Combines. That makes no sense to me. I'm from Connecticut. There ain't no combines in Connecticut. You know, football. All right? That's the only one I ever heard of. Weird. That's just weird. Anyway, so, but yeah. Um, that's up. That's up. I'm cleaning up audio this weekend because I'll be camping out a little bit with my TENS unit on. Um, I got I got a new digitally one, more 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 power, more leads, a little more uh, fine tuning because I like the tens unit. It works out. Uh, it's that it's that um, you know, no drug pain relief, and, and and I'm cool I'm cool with that. Alrighty, guys, Frank from Snipers Hide, come on over to Snipers Hide. We we got some good conversations going on. Uh, the like I said, you're you're seeing. People jump ship from the Facebook stuff. Don't try to reach out to me there. Come over to Sniper Side. Hey, 
If you have a big picture question, if you have a question that you think 10 other people probably have the same exact question, don't email me the question. Post it on the forum. You'll get more responses. You'll get more feedback. You'll get people who are pro and con in the, your, your question. If you just get my one opinion, I know I appreciate, dude, I get it. You guys value my opinion. You want to hear from Frank. You want Frank's stamp of approval on it. I mean, one of the better things I, I've seen done this way, Here, here's a, a suggestion. Guy posts a question in the forum. He gets 25 responses of varying degrees. He takes the best three responses that he thinks applies to him. Then he sends me a private message and says, I posted this question. These are the what I consider the top three responses that I got. What do you think you would do? Happy to answer that. But if you're just coming out and you're writing me a book, you know, it's 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 like three pages of an email to say, you know, should I buy a 6.5 over a 308? Eh, go ask them in the forum, man. You know, it's it's not, it, I get it. I, and and, and I, I do answer, but you're going to get like a one-line answer for me. Yeah, shoot the 6.5, you know, 6.5 fine. Well, what about this or that? Yeah, that one's good. They're both okay. You know, I'm, uh, it's, it's really more of a shortcut answer where if it's something in the forum and something going on, they tend to be more detailed because more eyes are on them. Helps more people rather than me and you just having a little private conversation in something that's big picture. It's not ugly. It's not personal. It's just a time thing. It's just how much emails I do get thing. And, um, uh, you know, it's, I think a lot more people would benefit from you talking in public with them. And that's the whole point of Sniper's Hide Forum, right? Community to bring everybody together. Got it? All right, guys. Um, That's it. This is my stopgap uh, uh, podcast for you all. Check out the videos. Um, I'm going to start knocking those out some more. I got a bunch of them. I still have the Tactaholics videos from the class that I'm going to put together. Check out the Seeking stuff that's going to be coming out. We'll have full-blown stuff. Adam's going to be shooting the Seekins this weekend, I believe. Or Mike, one of them is shooting the Seekins because they got a bunch of demos in there over there. Havoc stuff. I'm going to be talking about the Havoc and the 6PRC because I'm going to build a, a, a 6PRC on a Havoc action. Uh, I really like some of the things Glenn's doing with that Havoc action. And that's not to say any of these other ones are bad. I mean, the big recommendation before, and, and I at SHOT Show before I talked to Glenn, I really wanted to do one on the Havoc. I like the way the Havoc looks. There's a lot I like about the Havoc action. Um, a lot I like about it. Initially, talking to Mile High and Adam and those guys, we were looking at a Bighorn TL3 to do the 6PRC. Great option. I mean, honestly, in a lot of this stuff we're talking about, we're splitting some hairs. Well, why do you want this over that? Why do you want this over that? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of different reasons why. It's not to say I'm doing one better than the other. It may be a level of support with one versus the other. Yeah, I can call Bighorn up and talk to them and say, hey, I'm going to do a project and a video and a yada, 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 blah, 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 and probably be able to get a good deal on a Bighorn and, and then, you know, complete the project. I could do the same thing with Glenn. I can call Defiance and do the same thing with them. You know, it's not that. It's just you see so much Defiance, so much Bighorn, so much of this. 
I kind of want to bring attention to the Havoc because I, I really do think there's some unique features to that Havoc rifle or, you know, not rifle, but that Havoc action that are not being stated publicly enough. It's it's being undervalued in a way because there there's... When you look at it, you could see there's some stuff that were, were done, you know, underneath the hood that I really think matters. And that's not to say any of these others, like I said, it's not to say any of the others are lesser. They're not. It's just why I go in different directions than the mainstream, because it might be a case of too many people are talking about it, right? You know, so that's, that's just, don't read too much into what I do. Unless I'm telling you I'm doing this for a specific reason. I'm usually pretty good at if I if you say, why did you do, I'm doing it for this reason. If it's just, well, why the M over that? Well, it's because Mile High is the Seekins LE distributor, the, the AI LE distributor. They're, they're so deep in the LE community. You don't hear about these things as much. Talking about the SP-10M and what it can do for departments in military isn't heard of publicly as much as any normal rifle that's sold to just anybody. You know, an action that you don't hear about is that havoc in that rifle, you know, because it, it, it's, it's, it's a hunting rifle, but it has tactical applications in what's going on because Glenn comes from a mix of both worlds. He's an avid hunter but he shoots competition and he started out, you know, early on like we all did. I mean, Glenn's history on Sniper's Hide goes back to like 2003. He was doing group buys for rings back then. And, you know, then group buy on on upper and lower receivers. And so there's there's a long history. So that's all. I mean, you know, I, I get a lot of like quizzical question, you know, quizzical looks. Why are they cocking their eye at me? And so... Anyway, all good, and I I, I promise we'll, we'll get you some. We'll get you. I'm gonna talk the wind in the mountains for you guys, man. This I I gotta get my thoughts together the way I did when I did it in the car, and unfortunately I blacked out when I said it, and I need to kind of regain that that point in time, and so that's that's what's gonna happen with that. Mike is at mile high. Everyday Sniper. Oh, you know what I did yesterday? Wait, I'm not done yet. I got one more thing. I feel like Tim Cook or freaking what's his name? The, the, the dead one. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve Jobs. That, that was it. One more thing. Um, Swapped out my Atlas, the, the Cal, the new one, the, the throw lever to the really right stuff pick, uh, right stuff dovetail uh, mount. For bipod, they have the, the 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 adapter plate. You pull off the ADM quick throw lever plate that's on an Atlas bipod, and it's got that notch in there and the two screws. Pull that off. So I was in Mile High yesterday, as I said. Pull those two screws out. Pull that ADM throw lever out. I put on the really right stuff pick rail dovetail adapter. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love it. Bought a hard gear, uh, Dan Hansen, 9-inch rail for my AX. Going to take off the pick rails. But with that adapter, you can go on that smaller, lighter, thinner, tiny, entire 9-inch rail, really right stuff dovetail mount. Or if you have a rifle with just a pick rail, it works. 
works on both. So I swapped out, um, I got a new Atlas. I swapped out the cowl to the really right stuff. And I like the lock. The lock's tighter than trying to push in the throw lever for all the different pick rail specs. I hate having to push that lever in, turning the nut on the other side to play with this tension and the tightness. That always bugs the hell. This has the knob on it. I like the knob. What's it take? You know, 18 seconds more than throwing the lever. Big deal. And the other thing that I like is being able to slide it that entire length so you can loosen that knob and just slide that bipod back. You could slide the bipod anywhere you want on that rail. Out all the way, in a little bit. You can make, you can get a a longer um, hard gear Arca, uh, not Arca, but a really right stuff dovetail rail and move it forward past the handguard and have a little more out there, bring it in, maybe not as far, but you know, you could do... You could do a whole lot with it. It's not super expensive. Replaces that throw lever, or you just get the Atlas without anything on it. Don't ask me numbers. Call Mike. He's got them. Mike, I need one of these. And he's like, BT, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, whatever the fuck that means, Mike, just get me the goddamn thing that goes on this. And it, blah, 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 numbers. I'm, I don't know what that means. Mike knows. Mike knows from the top of his head. You call him up, 303-255-9999. Hey, I want that really right stuff thing Frank was talking about to go on an Atlas bipod. Oh, blah, 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 numbers. Yep, that's the one. Got it. So really, really cool stuff there, man. It, um, I'm digging it. Swapped out two of them yesterday. Probably going to end up doing more because I'm a fan. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for catching up. Downloads, followers, shares, all that stuff. Rock on.